we're in this series about uh, getting relationships right. And you know how imperative it is just for us to get relationships right. Life is so much about relationships. And, uh, and it's imperative that in, in, in all of our relationships that we line them up appropriately. And last week we talked about lining, lining up our loves and, and putting them in the appropriate order. And we talked about the only real order to put our loves in is to clear the entire stage and to put God front and center, high above all other relationships. And the only way that the other relationships are going to go well anyway is if he's the primary love of our life and if we are just receiving from him in ways that allow us to overflow into those other relationships. Today, we're looking at our relationship with the church. Each week, we're going to be looking at a different, different category of relationship, and they're not necessarily in any given order, but today we're looking at our relationship with the church, and we're talking about moving, or the principle we're talking about is moving from, from I to we. And uh, as we talk about our relationship with the church, obviously we're going, to, we're going to need to define a little bit what the church is and understand how we, we interact with it. But before we do that, join me in a word of prayer. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we believe that when it comes to how we live our lives, that your, your word just shapes us and it molds us. And it, the more we understand it, the more it allows us to live in a way that, that not just pleases you, but allows us to interact with you and know you. We want you to know that there is no other relationship that's more important to us. I say that, but I even feel convicted as I say it. You know, we want there to be no relationship in our life that is more important than the one with you. We recognize that all good things come from you. And so we, we look to you today to give us your word so that we can, uh, God, uh, transform our, so that you can transform our lives and we can bring them in, uh, into accordance with your word. We know it's the best for us. We know it's what pleases you. And so be with us in this message today uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So at its deepest core, and in its very essence, what is the church? What is it? We know that the church isn't this building, right? We know it's not about structure. We know it's more about people. Church is more about people. But in the life of the church, as we come together, what's it really revolve around? Like, what is the church thing? What? What, what is it? And, uh, you know, remember when Jesus went into the temple and people were selling stuff and they were doing what they shouldn't have been doing there and uh, it didn't go well for them because Jesus wasn't happy that they were, they were messing around in the temple. John uh, Ellis was coming back. He counts the money after uh, first service and they count attendance and that type of thing. And he, and he came back. I was in my office kind of working on something and he came into the office and he's like, here come the money changers, man. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> careful there. But remember what Jesus said? He said, uh, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. Is at the core of who we are, are we a house of prayer, a house of worship, a place where we communicate with God, where we humble ourselves before him, where we give him, like in that Old Testament temple, we give him the offerings that are due him. We, we pray to him. We connect with him. Is the core of what the church is that worship service, you know, that we're in right now, where we give God our praises, where we give him our tithes and offerings, where we interact and pray and connect with him. We know that if that thing goes wrong, it turns into nothing more than a theater where we're just entertained and it's about us. But when it's right, it's giving God what's due him. Perhaps the church, the, the core of the church, the essence of the church is about the study of the scriptures. We know that the scriptures give us the truth that we're to believe in. It informs us how to think and how to live. And so perhaps 
the, the essence, the real core of the church is the understanding of the Scriptures. And we know, again, that if we come into the pursuit of the Scriptures in the wrong way, it's just about us. And we can be like the religious leaders who Jesus talked to who said, you search the Scriptures looking for eternal life, but I'm the giver of life and I'm right here and you're not interested in me. So don't kid yourselves. You can, you can go after the Scriptures, but it doesn't mean that you got the core of it necessarily. Perhaps what it's really all about is about the mission. Perhaps at the end of the day, maybe what, what the church is all about is about pursuing what it is that God's called us to do. Caring for those around us. Loving those who need love. Serving the world around us. Sharing the gospel. And bringing others into relationship with Jesus. Perhaps that's what it's all about in its essence. We also know that if that goes wrong, it can get ugly too, right? A church can become just a business who's kicking out the next good work for God and trying to get it done. And we could think that we're doing things because we love God when in actuality we don't feel a deep love for God inside of us and we feel a lack of respect for ourselves and so we need to accomplish and achieve things in the kingdom in order to feel more lovable and more likable. Any one of these things can go wrong. But the truth is, is we know that God calls us up into the relationship with him. We know he calls us into the scriptures to have our lives transformed. We know that he calls us out to share the love with others. But are any one of these things individually or all together, are they the essence of what church is? Is that what church is? If we want to know the DNA of what church really is, then we've got to go back to the beginning where the church is created, where it's founded, and look to see what it is. Where's, where in the scriptures do we find the beginning of the church? In Acts, right. So we're going to look at uh, Acts, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 2. Now before I read this, I want to give you the... I want to give you the, the context of what's happening. They have just had the most amazing prayer service ever known. I mean, this prayer service was spectacular. Jesus had, you know, ascended back up into heaven, and he tells them all to go to the upper room and to go to, uh, back to Jerusalem and to pray. So they start praying, and he says, just wait there until something happens. You know, until I direct you further. So they're in this prayer meeting where they're praising God and they're saying, God, we need you. It's so exciting that you rose from the dead, but we have no idea what to do, you know, and they're praying and they just keep praying and praying and praying. And then all of a sudden, they encounter the presence of God in a very tangible way. The Holy Spirit is with them. And there are tongues of fire resting on their head, we're told. Physical manifestation of God's presence with them. And these miraculous things start happening and they start speaking in different languages. And talk about a worship service, a prayer service going right, you know, where they really connected with God. Something was happening in that room, you know. And, and God empowered them and emboldened them. And amazing things happened. And coming out of that moment, they moved from the up where they're connecting with God to the inn, because all of a sudden what happens is, is Peter steps up in front of all the people and he delivers a word from God that is so fresh and so new and so profound, it just rocks their world. He goes through the scriptures and he shows them the history of what God's been doing and he shows it to them in a way that they've never seen it before. And at the end of it, the crown jewel of the story is that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one, and he ties it all together and everyone there is just like, whoa. That word was deep. That word was fresh. And then, after the amazing connection with God, and after the profound words from God, we're told that 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Talk about a pretty decent, uh, you know, uh, return on, on the investment of the word of God there. 
You know, this is a pretty decent return. 3,000 people in one day. Was that a good mission effort? Absolutely. It worked. Was it a great worship experience and, and prayer meeting? Absolutely. God showed up and, and did what he needed to do. Was it a good word from God out of the scriptures? It was an amazing word from God. It, it reshaped the history and the landscape of the faith. All of those things were working. But now that the prayer meeting had happened and the word of God had been delivered, and now that the mission had in many ways begun to, to take root and begin to work, there's the question, what is the church? Still, in its essence, what is the church? So we turn to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is directly after all of that. I want you guys to stand with me as we read this one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can have a seat. So is what's being described here a worship service? That's not just a worship service, is it? They're worshiping, they're praising God and they're praying, but it's not just a prayer service or a worship service. Is what being described a Bible study? No. They're studying the Bible. They're listening to the apostles' teachings, but it's much more than just a Bible study. Is what's being described here a mission movement? Well, you know, the Lord's adding to their number daily those who are being saved, but it's more than just a mission movement. What's being described here, while you see the up and the in and the out working well, what's being described here is it's not, it's not a theater or, a, or even a worship service. It's not a school or even a Bible study. And it's not a business or even a mission agency. What it is is it's a community. It's a family. It's a group of people gathered together around a similar purpose. They're all gathered together, and what they are in this obvious foundation of the church is they are the community of those who follow Jesus. The essence and the core of the church is not a prayer meeting. It's not a worship service like we're in right now. The essence and the core of the church is not a Bible study, although it's deeply essential. And the core and the essence of the church is also not the business, the machinery, the making of disciples, the Great Commission, the mission agency, getting it done. All three of those things are deeply essential to our calling, and yet they're not who we are. Who we are is a community, a family, a people. I had a, uh, a professor at school, at Moody, who um, he challenged me about my understanding of, of how God speaks to us through the scriptures. Challenged me to look again at how I understand the way God communicates with us and interacts with us and how I see myself in view of God. Do I see myself as an individual in relationship with God or do I see myself as a part of a body who has a relationship with God? Or do I see myself as both? 
And he talked about how the scriptures go both ways, but oftentimes we only see ourselves in the individual relationship with God or in some sort of corporate relationship with God, but we have a hard time seeing ourselves in both of these veins. And he challenged me to look at the scriptures and and to understand how personal pronouns are used. One personal pronoun in particular. Let me explain. The word you. When we use the word you, it can refer to an individual. I can say you and be talking to George Ann. I can say you and be talking to each and every one of you, where I can say you and be talking about Parker Ford Church. And in the scriptures, God says, Paul will say to a, a, a group of believers, you. And when we read the scriptures and we're having our personal time with God, our natural reaction typically is to think that that's speaking to individuals, or at least the individuals that make up the group. When in fact, he might also be speaking to the whole group. Let me give you an example of a few different passages here, and you can pick out whether it's talking to each individual or whether it's talking to the whole group. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Have you been saved as a group or as individuals? Individuals. So it is by grace that you have been saved. I have a personal relationship with God. I've humbled myself before Him, and, and He has saved me. How about this one? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm going to stop there for a second. Is that talking about the individuals or the group? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Group, listen, it continues on. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So the word of Christ dwells in us corporately. It dwells in us as a team. The word of Christ maybe can dwell a little bit in each one of us, but it can only really dwell in us together. As you teach and admonish one another, the word of Christ dwells in you. Now I could understand that as it dwells in me, or in each of us, or in all of us, it could very easily be translated, the word of, let the word of Christ dwell among you, as you teach and admonish one another. But oftentimes when we read those scriptures, we could interpret it on the individual you, instead of the corporate you. See, we're a body and we need one another. And sometimes when the scriptures speak to us, we're so used to thinking about our lives on an individual level that we forget to hear it on a corporate level. Let me give you one more, one more illustration here, or one more uh, scripture. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son purifies us from all sin. Purifies us from all sin. Does it purify each of us individually? Or does it purify us as a group? No one's jumping at that one. Yes, great answer. The answer is yes. You see, the thing is, is there corporate sins among us? Does our culture have sins in our culture that are not just about the individuals who commit them, but are like our culture doesn't operate the way God wants it to? There's cultural sin. Our church here, as a body, we fail at things. Not just as individuals, but as a body, we fail at things. If a coach says to his kids, hey, before the game here, I don't want you to eat before the game or you're going to get sick. He just says, I don't want you to eat before the game. Each person has to internalize that and say, I shouldn't eat. It's about each member who makes up the team. But if he says to them, hey, if you play defense today, and if you play as a team, you're going to win this game. He used the same word, you, 
And yet this time, he wasn't referring to all the individuals within the team. He was referring to the team together. If you guys are playing defense, if as a unit you're playing defense, and if you're working together, then you will win. And what he tells us right here in this passage is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son purifies us from unrighteousness. We need God not just to save us individually, but we need him to save us as a group. There's stuff that doesn't function well as a whole body. When we understand the word of God and when we look at how it informs us, we need to see ourselves not just as individuals in our relationship with God, but also as a body, as one. The truth is is that we're interdependent in ways that, that it's hard for us to even fathom the way we affect one another. We really need one another in order to accomplish what it is that God has for our lives. And uh, we're individually responsible for our own lives. Someday, we're all going to stand before God and we're going to have to give account for what it is that we did with our lives. Each one of us individually. And yet, in order to achieve what it is that He wants for our lives, we need to be able to do it together. We can't accomplish it on our own. So we're individually responsible and we're individually held accountable and yet we're only corporately capable of achievement. Those of you who have kids, uh, you you probably went through the whole uh, infant car seat thing. Um, Anybody know who the the big name in infant car seats is? Graco, yeah. We should know that name around here. Graco. And uh, Graco has... They're, they're super functional. You know, they, they know what a parent needs and they design things to work the way a parent needs. And um, there's, there's other names in, in the uh, infant car seat business too. There's, there's other brands as well. Um, Graco, their system is kind of like, there's these two harnesses that come across the kid and then there's one centerpiece that comes up between their legs and then you, you click the, the, uh, the harness each, each uh, part. Man, what am I trying to say? There's, what's it, give me, help me out. Clip, okay, the buckle, there we go. Oh, there's a buckle, and then there's these two clips. Thanks, man, someone just hooked me up. Where's the buckle, thank you. So there's these two clips, and there's the buckle, okay? And, and the buckle has these two slots in it, and it comes over, and each one of these clips clips into the buckle, okay? And that's how it works. And so you pull the one over, and you clip it in, you pull the other over, and you click it in. Now, Jen and I went looking for infant car seats. And, you know, I'm I'm laughing as I'm telling this illustration because we're giving someone in this congregation our our car seat. Um, And, uh, but wait till you hear the story. There's, um, with, when we looked around, we looked at all the Graco ones and the Graco ones didn't look the way we wanted them to look. Now, see, there's this other brand out there, Eddie Bauer, and you know about Eddie Bauer, right? Eddie Bauer is the one, their whole job in everything that they produce is just to make it look a little nicer, right? That's their whole job is they, they put their stuff on it and they make it look a little nicer. Now, when it, came, when it comes to Eddie Bauer's stuff, they might not always think as functionally as Graco does. They think about how to make it look nice. Well, we looked at them all, and we understood the differences. In, but Jen really liked the look of the Eddie Bauer one. So we got the Eddie Bauer one. Well, here's how the Eddie Bauer one works. The Eddie Bauer one works like this. There are two shoulder harnesses, just like the Graco one. And there are two clips, just like the Graco one. The difference is, is there's only one slot. 
in the buckle. And these two clips, they come together and they hook together, okay? And so you've got to get them to hook together and then slide. They're like a puzzle. And when you have a screaming kid all, and, and you've got to put them in a car seat, what you're really looking for is something fun and creative to do, like, you know, a puzzle to put together. Because there aren't enough confusing things happening in this moment as a new, new parent. And so when Evan was screaming, I'd like put my elbow on him with one, <laughs> holding him down with my elbow, and then with, take these two clips and try to put them together, and then have the buckle here and put it in like this. And that's how you figure out how to use the Eddie Bauer car seat. See, but... It was all worth it in the end. The reason it was all worth it in the end is because now I have a sermon illustration that I can tell you about how God works in our lives. You see, this is how it works. God has a call on each and every one of us, but God has a call on us together. And what he does is, is he makes one slot, one calling for us. And then he gives you a little piece of what's necessary. And he gives you a little piece of what's necessary. And in order to fulfill the call on the church, we have to learn to come together to get into that place where we can achieve what he's called us to. And if we take one of the pieces and try to click it in there, it just won't fit. It might slide in, but it'll pop right back out. It won't click. It won't work. In order for it to all be clicking and firing on all cylinders, in order for it to work, we have to come together. We have to be Eddie Bauer. But at the end, it looks really good, you know, and, and it works. And, and the truth is, is that when God created us, he didn't make us those stinking Graco car seats that can just plug in individually and not have to care about one another as clips. Instead, he made us Eddie Bauer, that in order to accomplish, you have to learn to love one another in order to get the job done. And that's what God does, is he puts a little bit of himself in each and every one of us, and he says, as you come together and you learn to work together and you learn to love one another, then you're going to be able to accomplish what it is that I've called you to. That's cool, isn't it? It's cool how God does that. And the reason is, is because for us, it's so easy to think that the, that the church is about a great prayer meeting and a great Sunday morning experience. So if we could just get that done, if we could just, you know, have that great worship experience, or if we could just understand the next thing in the scripture, or if we could just, you know, lead this person to Jesus, if we could just do this stuff. But for him, while all that's important, and it's what he calls us to, that's not the big deal. The big deal for him, listen to him on the night he was supposed to be crucified. Listen to his words in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, at the end of the day, if we have a great worship experience but we didn't do it together, if we understood theology and scripture but we didn't come to learn it together, and if we did all sorts of great things for God, but we, we haven't done it together as a body, we haven't achieved what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to learn how to do it together. And so he makes it impossible for us to get the whole picture because he knows us well enough to know that we will run off on our own and try to get it done so that we can say, I got it done. 
you know? And then we feel good about ourselves. And that's not what he wants. He wants us to feel good about ourselves because he loves us. And then love one another. And so he gives us these goals and then gives us each pieces of what it takes to achieve it. And then he tells us in Romans, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. The chain's only as strong as its weakest link, right? And we're only capable of achieving what we're called to unless we're looking at it as a team. You know how uh, when the scriptures talk about um, a marriage couple and they say, once you're married, your body doesn't belong just to yourself. It belongs to, to, to your spouse as well. And that's what Paul says in the scriptures. It's not just your own. You belong to one another. You become one. And it's funny how, like, as an individual person, as a single person, when you get into a relationship, when you get married, now all of a sudden, it's, it's not just about your physical body, it's about your finances, your calendar, all the things that you do, they don't belong just to you anymore, right? And we're used to, as single people, we're used to kind of doing whatever, whenever, and spending whatever, whenever, however we need to, and we're, and we're, but now all of a sudden our mind has to multiply, and we have to be thinking team instead of thinking individual. And in order for us to move ahead, in order for us to, to do well with our resources, in order for us to do well with our calendar, in order for us to do well with all of that stuff, we have to stop thinking about what's best for me and we have to start thinking about what's best for us. And when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to how we interact as a church, it is very clear that we are no longer just individuals in our relationship with God. I am not only just going after God by myself. I can't think of my spiritual life just in terms of myself. If I ask you today, if I grab one of you and I say, hey, Greg, how's your spiritual life? The natural answer is, you know, uh, okay, you know, I think I'm seeing some, some stuff happening in my personal time with God. I think maybe the fruits of the Spirit are somewhat evident in my life and those types of things. But I use that word you and instantly we think individually right? How's your spiritual life? What if I asked, how's your spiritual life? And the way that you responded to me was, you know, our church is a pretty loving place. I just asked how your spiritual life is. Yeah, I thought when you said you, you meant Parker Ford Church. How's your spiritual life? We need to begin to see ourselves every bit as much in relationship with God together as we do separately. And we need to think team. Man, I feel like a coach right now. I, I feel like Denzel Washington in uh, Remember the Titans right now. Or something. We need to think team. We honestly do. Until we learn to work together, our spiritual lives only go so far. And we're only capable of achieving so much. You know? It's exactly how God created it to be. In 1 Peter, this is what he says. I love this passage. I'm going to have you stand again with me as we read this one. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. verse 8 and 9, or verse 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, you can have a seat. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. So is he saying that once we were aliens and now we're people? 
No, he doesn't say once you were not people, but now you are people. He says once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. He says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He doesn't say you're priests, you're chosen, you're royal, you're good people. He says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That word a, that little one letter modifier, it changes everything. It says we are one. And he deals with us in many ways as a unit. Remember in the Old Testament when he would talk to the Israelites? If there was one person doing something, he'd punish the entire lot of them. You know? Because he wanted them to understand they're in it together. And there's a need to be in it together. And to understand they're in it together. And in the same way, if we want to continue to move ahead as his church, we must see ourselves as a chosen people as a royal priesthood, as a church, as people following Christ, as a people following Christ. I was here a couple couple years ago before Josh and I came on staff, and I came to speak at um, Rally Day, Harvest Home. I was asked to speak at that. So I came back um, here to speak, and as I was coming in, it was my first time in the new building, and... um, there was, the, there was the mugs out back that we hand to. If you're, if you're new with us today, make sure you grab a mug. We have mugs out there. Um, and uh, there was, these mugs were out there, and they say PFC on them. And I assumed that meant for people following Christ, but I'm like, what else does that stand for? And the first thought that came to my head, wait, I said that it, sta- it stood for Parker Ford Church. Man, I just blew it. Man. Yeah, <laughs> it stands for Parker Ford Church, but I thought, what else does that stand for? And instantly the thought was in my head, it stands for people following Christ. So when, we, when I got up here and I was speaking that morning, I said, I think that PFC stands for people following Christ. And we all kind of thought that was neat. And ever since then, um, when, when Josh and I came on staff, you'll notice that a lot of the literature we put out, it says people following Christ. If you open up your bulletin across the bottom, it says Parker Ford Church, people following Christ. But when I read this passage, it doesn't say you are chosen people, you are royal priesthood, you royal priests, you are holy nation. It says you are a chosen people a royal priesthood. And so we need to change that logo. We need to change that thing from saying that we are people following Christ to saying we are a people following Christ. Because what ends up happening in our minds is we think that we're all on our own individual journey. And we come together for a worship service, a bunch of people following Christ. And we come to a Bible study, a bunch of individuals following Christ. And we come to to do mission and we're a bunch of people following Christ. But what we need to understand is we need to come together and be a unit. That when we come into a worship service, it's not just those of us who are out here doing our own things and then once, once in a while we come together for a worship service or a Bible study or whatever. We are a singular people. We are a family. We are a people following Christ. Now, just because we understand that this isn't a, a theater that... It's, it's actually, you know, the worship service is about the family coming together to love God. And just because we understand this isn't just a school, it's about a study group where we get together to understand Dad's word that he gave to us. And, you know, we, and just because we understand this isn't a business where we're just kicking stuff out for God, where it's actually we're a mission team and we're working at it together. And, and as we understand all of that, just because we understand that we're a community doesn't mean that we're free from the danger of being misled. Because if we come into the community selfish, it'll be no different than coming into a worship service selfish or a Bible study selfish or, or a, uh, you know, some sort of mission movement selfish. It'll still not turn out right. 
We can believe that we're a family. We can believe that we're a unit. But if we come to this church, to Parker Ford Church, into this family, because we need it, because we believe that this is relationship insurance for me, that when I'm down and out, someone's got me, you know? And when I got a need, this person's going to take care of me. This, this group's going to take care of me. If I come into the church with that mentality, and if I enter into the relationship with that mentality, with a place of need, then every person is coming, drawing from the community instead of investing into the community. It's destined for failure. We will be disappointed. The church will always disappoint us because the church is made up of humans and we will always be disappointed as we come to the community if we come in looking in a posture of receiving instead of giving. When we come to the church, we remember that we are to love one another with the love that God has first given us. Remember last week when we said lining up our loves, clear the stage. The initial love in our life is not one that we give, but one that we receive. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. And He gives us absolutely every ounce of love that we need. I hope and pray that God will provide through our church, that when someone's in need, we will always step up and take care of them. I hope that when someone's hurting, we will always be there to love them and to pray for them and to take care of them. But if we come in looking to receive from one another, then we will miss it. We come in looking to receive from God. And sometimes he provides through one another. And when he does, we rejoice and we thank the person, but we also thank God. Because the only way that the church really works, the only way that the whole unity thing works, the only way that the, the, the Trinity, the oneness of the Trinity can be revealed through a oneness in the church is when people come to one another not looking to receive from one another, but looking to give to one another out of the overflow of the God who is giving to them. And so when we come into church, we've got to understand, this is going to be painful. It's not going to be easy all the time. While we have to work together in order to get this done, we have our own ways of seeing things. And it's not just the gifts that are helpful in getting us to go forward, but there's also all the failures of each of us. And God uses our weaknesses and our failures to accomplish his ends in one another every bit as much as our assets and our gifts. You see, this is how it works. A piece of furniture starts out as a chunk of wood. If you look at the Jackson's garage, man, there's so much wood in that garage, it's crazy because Steve is all about shaping wood into different things. Oh. <laughs> Not just the garage, apparently. It's all through the house. That's hilarious. <laughs> In order to get that piece of wood to become the piece of furniture it needs to be, to fine-tune that thing, I mean, you can take a saw and hack it into the basic shape, but to get it where it needs to be, it takes sandpaper. It takes a file. It takes rough edges. And we can go after our relationship with God and read the scriptures and have our personal worship time and do what we're supposed to do. But until we get into a committed relationship with other believers, the rough edges don't come off of us. You see, I, I, you all know probably where my weak points are. Many of us know what each other's weak points are because they frustrate us. And yet the call of believers and the call of the church is to become one unit working together to move forward. And so as we commit and as we say, when the, when the road gets tough, I'm not going to bounce because these relationships are hard. Instead, I'm sticking it out 
and we're working through this. It's the glue that works it out. And as we commit to one another and we stay in there, regardless of the weaknesses and the frustrations of each other, we find that God uses those weaknesses as the sandpaper to make us the people he wants us to be. It is not just our assets, it is also our failures that he uses to accomplish his ends. The glue, the necessary element, is the commitment of the church to be committed to receiving from God and to sticking together to love and be unified as an expression of our appreciation to God. If he is the one who's in charge, if what we're doing is receiving everything we need from him, then we have to submit to him and do as he says. And if I'm not willing to commit to the relationship and stay in there, then I'm telling God, I kind of am receiving from you, but I'm going to try to do it according to my rules. It doesn't work that way. If we want to receive everything we need from God, then we need to be in submission and obedience to God. And the first act of obedience to God is to be committed to each other no matter what. And so one of the ways that we receive the love from God is by staying committed to one another because it's in that commitment that he's able to work out his love into us and he's able to shape us and he's able to allow us to accomplish what we want or what he wants. And so we want the word of God in its fullness. We come together over the word of God. We want the presence of God in our worship service. We come together for a worship service. We want to be effective at mission. We come together for mission. We want to grow as believers. Then we love each other no matter how much it hurts. At the end of the day, the real message for us is that we're a community before we're anything else. The good news is that Parker Ford Church, in my experience, has always been a community more than it's been anything else. It's actually not been, you know, uh, doesn't ever really look like a business where it's just kicking out stuff and getting stuff done. You know, as a matter of fact, there'd be times when you'd walk into, into Parker Ford Church and it was judged on the scales of, you know, uh, business, business measurements, we would fail so miserably, it'd be ridiculous, you know, because we're not efficient, but that's okay, we're a family, you know. And there's times when the, the worship service isn't spectacular and we don't have just the presence of God going like crazy and it's not the most amazing experience and it wouldn't function as a theater because some days it's just like, okay. You know, and there's moments where we go to study the Bible and it, we, the, it doesn't jump off the page and it's not that Pentecost moment where we learn everything new. But when we come together and when we go after what God wants for us as a family, we've found here at Parker Ford Church that God accomplishes those other things. He really does, and he takes care of us. And Parker Ford Church has been a family, and it will always be a family. As we grow, God has blessed us to be more effective at achieving things that he's called us to in the mission. He's beginning to help us be more effective at experiencing his presence in a worship service. And we may see more people, you know, wanting to be a part of that. We've been growing, and, and what's more is the insight into the Word of God has continued to jump off the page. And it's been exciting what God's doing. But the real question for us is as we grow and as God continues to add to our numbers and as we continue to see the missions accomplished and all of that, will we keep the core, the essence, at the core? Will we be a church? Will we be a community? The answer to that lies not in the team, the answer to that lies in each one of us. 
This is the place where we are individually responsible. It says in that Acts passage that they ate together. They shared their homes with one another. When one person was in need, they sold something in order to help the other person out. That they went and prayed together. Are you having each other over for dinner right now? That's not metaphorical, that's literal. Are we having each other over for dinner? For dinner? Are we having coffee with one another? Are we you know, going and sharing a cup of joe and sharing our stories with one another? Are we getting real with each other? Are we seeing what people's needs are in order to figure out how to bless those things? If we are, we're the church. If we're not, we're either a worship service, a Bible study, or a mission board at best. At worst, we're a theater, a school, or a business. I don't want to be any of those things. I want to be a church, a family, a people following Christ. If you look in your bulletins, right in the middle section, it says those takeaways there. And I would urge you, just look through the scriptures that are there throughout the week that talk about community. There's scriptures to help you connect with God and and understand this topic. And then underneath of it, there's some exercises. Throughout the week, engage some of those exercises. You know, invite someone over. Go have a cup of coffee. Share your story with someone. See what someone's need is. Encourage someone. But let's be a church. Let's be a family. Let's pray. God, we believe that um, you are very interested in us being effective at fulfilling your mission. We, we bless you and we give you praise because you're allowing us to, to begin to fulfill your mission. And we want to be so efficient and so effective at, at, at uh, accomplishing the things that you call us to. We want to love the world around us when it's in need. We want to share the gospel with those who, who need to know you. God, we're thankful that the, the scriptures are coming to life and that we're experiencing you and your presence through worship and prayer. But God, we ask that as those things move forward, that they would never become idols for us, that they would never distract us from the main thing. And God, I also ask that as we enter into community and into relationship with one another, that you would give us the power and the strength to have the fruit of the Spirit, that we would enter into these relationships with one another, not in a posture of receiving, but in a posture of giving. God, we want your glory to be revealed. And I love the fact that you are Father, Son, and Spirit, completely individual, and yet you're one, you're just God, and we can't separate it, and we don't, we don't understand all that, but we ask that there would be the absolute, that level of confusion for anyone who looks at Parker Ford Church. We can't tell if we're a unit or we're individuals or whatever, because we're each fulfilling our role and doing what we need to, and yet we function as one. God, we thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. And we ask that on that day, when we're gathered in heaven with you, that the work that you have accomplished on the cross would unify us in such a way that when you look down the aisle and you see the bride of Christ walking up toward you, your church, that you would be enthralled with the beauty and the unity of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.